to make sure that it really does start to impact the human change versus just the tick box. Yay, we had a, that gay leadership dude come in and do a one-day workshop. Woo you know, No, that's not how it's going to change things and, and really make the world that more inclusive for all of us. This is the Rebel HR Podcast, the podcast where we talk to human resources innovators about innovation in the world of HR. If you are a people leader or you're looking for a new way to think about how to help others be successful, this is the podcast for you. Rebel on, HR Rebels. All right, Rebel HR listeners, I'm extremely excited for our guest, Dr. Steve Iacovelli, aka The Gay Leadership Dude, is the owner and principal of Top Dog Learning Group, LLC, a learning and development leadership, change management, and diversity and inclusion consulting firm based in Orlando, Florida, with affiliates all around the globe. Steve has had the pleasure of working with some great client partners, Fortune 500 greats like Walt Disney and Bayer, Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, the American Library Association, a whole lot on the resume there with over 25 years of experience in leadership strategy, organizational learning, and communication. He is a rare breed of professional that understands the power of using academic theory and applying it to the corporate setting to achieve business results. Oh, and he likes dogs too. Steve, welcome to the show. (laughs) Thank you so much, Kyle. Nice to be here. It's a great bio. I I love reading those types of bios. (laughs) There's a little branding in there somewhere. Yeah, it's good. It's good. (laughs) It's well polished. So nice job. So we were were talking before, before we hit record about the topic and some of your expertise and really fascinating story and you've kind of seen behind the curtain of HR. So why don't you just give our listeners a little bit of your background and ultimately how you got where you are today? Yeah. So so in a nutshell, I like to think of myself as a, a communications professional, but you know, and that fell into a bunch of different buckets. But I first got into corporate training at a software company and to completely and utterly date myself, it was in the days of DOS. And so if you're listening here and you're like, what's that? Google it because it's really interesting. It's pre-Windows stuff. But I was working at a software company and we were the training arm, uh, the customer support. So we'd go out and do training, and then we'd come back in the office and learnings on the phone and conferences and stuff. So it was really cool. And I decided to go to grad school. And grad school, I'm like, oh, there's like other ways you can teach adults in the workplace. This is kind of cool. So I kind of came back and it really focused more on the soft skills, the HR side of the world, leadership, things of that nature. And then I fell into my first HR place when I worked for Disney. I, I was working for Disney Cruise Line at the time. I was an internal leadership consultant. And my clients were the shipboard officers and the crew and the folks at Castaway Key, the island. So it was a really sweet gig, I have to say. But it was the first time in an HR function. And I'm like, wait, I used to be in a profit center when I did training over there. They're like, no, 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 that's not how training works in this side. I'm like, oh, okay. So kind of stayed, <laughs> stayed in that mix and bounced around to a couple of different places. Um, I was a, an IBMer for a while as a change consultant. I was the global head of leadership for Tupperware Brands for a while. And then I decided to kind of put out my own little shingle in 2008 and start my own gig, Top Dog Learning Group. And we focus on the stuff that Kyle already said, change management, diversity, inclusion, and leadership consulting, among other cool stuff. Absolutely. Yeah. Tell me about being that nonprofit center. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I feel that. Yeah. Feel especially, that. especially in training, because it's usually like the first thing to get cut is training. Right. It's like, <laughs> right. It, it was funny. You know, it reminds me like the beginning back, when there was a big question mark about what is the world going to look like and COVID was just starting to hit and everybody was cutting everything and the number of learning and development programs that were just completely cut and when everybody was trying to save everything. And then 
I distinctly remember about six months later when we realized, okay, the world isn't ending. Yeah. Uh, it may be a little bit different. Then everybody is coming back and going, <laughs> oh my gosh, how do I deal with this? How do I train people? How do I get back? And like, it's like, yeah. Some, it's, it, that's, yeah. that's exactly what happened to us. So, so, you know, I mean, most of what we do at Top Dog Learning Group is face-to-face training, even though my doctorate's in distance learning, you know, just that's kind of how it is. And and we have a lot of big Fortune 500 clients. We do like we're like the global leadership or the uh, the leadership facilitation group for a bunch of North America global companies, but we focus on North America. And so we we pretty much sell the year by February. And of course, April rolls around, and our three biggest clients are like, "Yes, yeah, Steve, your team is not setting foot on our site anymore." And like, boom, I just lost all the revenue for the year. Awesome. And so we, uh, you know, we took a breath and we started thinking about how we can really over the word pivot, but. There's that. <laughs> so, and, uh, you know, I'm like, wait, I do distance learning. That's kind of my jam. And so I started working with clients around, around July. I started knocking on their little door and saying, hey, you know, you still have people out there that need stuff, especially leadership training. Like, yeah, we're not ready. We're not ready. All of them in September were like, yeah, we need stuff now because this is not going to go away in 2021. So right. thank goodness, you know, we were able to turn a lot of our face-to-face stuff and convert it into virtual things that are still engaging and fun and we have a good time with it. And now, of course, 2021, like, that's all we're doing is, <laughs> you know, on site, but we're doing like the cool thing. And I'm sure your listeners know this. Obviously, volume can be very different when you're doing things via distance, especially if you do the design right. And so one of our clients, we typically teach about 270 plus leaders around North America each year. Well, because of distance, we're now doing over a thousand this year, which is awesome for them. It's the costs are still great for us. You know, I, my team can do like five sessions a day versus one. And so, you know, there are some pros and cons of this new uh, distance learning kind of approach. Yeah, I think emphasis on if you do it right, right, that's the challenge. And that's certainly something that I wouldn't say my organization's figured that out yet. It's kind of, we're kind of learning as we go. And I think especially for like a workplace where we weren't, we weren't virtual at all yeah. before, you know, we were forced to be. And now we're trying to figure out, okay, what's that sweet spot of virtual to in-person and sure. yeah, that's great. So, you know, so you broke off, started your own thing, ha- you know, obviously have a little bit of the entrepreneurial spirit and you certainly have a, a ton of energy as you were, you know, kind of starting up that, uh, that business, what was your approach to structuring something that you could put your name on? In hindsight, I picked a really crappy time to start a business. 2008, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was really dumb. But um, you know, it is what it is. But you know, my first thing was, I just need clients. I need cash flow. <laughs> so I, you know, you reach out to the network. You looking on some of the sites back back in 2008. And what was so beautifully serendipitous is I got a, a facilitation gig where I was myself, and there was five other consultants. Where it was a project with the Public Library Association. But it was funded by the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. And so basically what we were doing is we were teaching librarians how to be business people. And so we would take this traveling roadshow. We'd go to someplace. Des Moines, Iowa actually was our first stop, oddly enough. So the your state. But uh, yeah, we'd go and do these two and a half day conferences. And it was so cool and rewarding. And, and it was a gig that lasted two years. And then side note, they're still a client to this day, you know, so many 13 years later. But it was just such a great experience to have that solid foundation. And then from there, it, you know, cause I'm like, I don't know much about the library profession, but I knew about the soft skills and leadership stuff. And so it really started kind of laying the foundation for how we at Top Dog approach leadership is that we're, we're vendor agnostic, or excuse me, industry agnostic. You know, why do we don't focus on one area or the other? Because yes, leadership is about context and we have to understand that, you know, corporate culture, blah, blah, blah. 
but effective leadership is effective leadership is effective leadership, period. And so we're able to kind of weave that and adjust that and, and really be nimble when a client in pharma comes and says, hey, can you teach our folks? Yes, of course we can. And then someone from the hospitality says, can you do that? Of course we can. And so, you know, we do a lot of questioning and, and listening, but really at the, at the foundation, our leadership programming is pretty much the same. And, and I'm so glad I learned that very early on in starting my own gig. Absolutely. So, you know, I think that's, I'm always fascinated to, to ask this question because I think the word leadership has so many different connotations depending sure. upon somebody's perspective. I know, I guarantee you there's probably some managers thinking, oh, the industry absolutely matters, you know, and, and there's, I'm sure there's probably a counterpoint argument there, but what do you define as leadership? And then how do you approach becoming a better leader? Yeah, it's a great question. Thank you, Kyle. So my book, Pride Leadership, Strategies for the LGBTQ Plu Leader to be the King or Queen of the Jungle. Um, this is like in the preface because <laughs> I've worked with so many folks who are like, oh, I'm not a leader, I'm a manager. I'm like, okay, interesting. Tell me more about that. I don't deal with people. I just do. I'm like, okay, do you have influence? Oh, yeah. Then you're a leader. Because in my opinion, leadership is not a you know solid line to somebody else under you. It's It's what influence you have within the workplace. And that could be an individual contributor. It could be a project manager. It could be the awesome admin, which, you know, side note, the best piece of business advice I've ever received was from my mom, who was an admin. And she said, never underestimate the power of the administrator. And she's absolutely smurfly right. I mean, it's <laughs> awesome. But, uh, you know, leadership is about influence. And so we have the opportunity as a leader, insert whoever you are here, to have influence over those around us. And to me, that's leadership. Absolutely. And I think that you know, there's two ways to look at that. One is, you know, have the title manager to be a leader. And two, just because you have the title manager doesn't mean you're a leader. <laughs> yeah, brilliant. Yes. Totally or, or maybe not the right type of leader if you rely exactly. on that to get things done, right? <laughs> exactly. So I know that I know that you work with, with leaders and you've got this model. So what is your model for great leadership? What does that look like? Well, when I was starting to write Pride Leadership, which came out, no pun intended, in 2019. You know, I started working on it in 2018, and, 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 I, and I wanted to write a leadership book. And, and so I'm at a conference, and I'm sorting through my business cards, and there's a woman next to me kind of doing the same thing before the session. And I said, you know, she's like, what do you do? I'm like, oh, consulting, blah, blah, blah. How about you? She's like, I'm a publisher. I'm like, you know, there's a leadership book in my head that needs to come out. I've been watching this for 25 plus years. Help me get it out. She's like, absolutely, let's do that. And so that kind of led me down the path of, trying to really identify what I've seen work for leaders that are just rocking and rolling, what I'm not seeing in leaders who are crashing and burning. And so one day I just I kind of bribed one of my fellow OD friends who came over and you know I did bribe him with a bottle of something. And it was Friday afternoon and we just had post-it notes all over like, what competencies do you see? What do I see? And so it's all over my office here. And then we started bucketing them and looking and seeing you know, what are the ones that really make a difference? And so really it came up with the six that you're seeing behind me, I know you're listening that you won't see them, but there's authenticity, courage, empathy, effective communication, building relationships, and shaping culture are the six. And then then like the little click in me as I'm like, oh, I got my six. And then I started looking at other queer leaders. I do a lot of volunteering social justice. And so now with this leadership top six in my head, that's when I started saying, you know, is there, you know, that many remember that Sex in the City TV show, Carrie Bradshaw, if you remember that. She's like, I couldn't help but wonder, you know, as she's typing on her map. <laughs> um, so that was me. 
Yeah, I can't. Yeah, you, you uh, gotta admit, TBS. You, you bump into you know, it at some point. I, I, I may have seen that show once or twice, <laughs> so, and, and it's okay. Authentic, <laughs> pal. That's cool. Um, but but like that kind of went in my head, and I'm like, hey, wait. I wonder if there's something about these six competencies that really anybody should know. But is there something different about them through the queer lens or the rainbow lens? And that's kind of the, the basis on pride leadership. It's not for for gay folks. Allies love it too. With my mix of bad dad jokes and, and leadership theory. But it's really, you know, however you consume these six competencies, these to me are the biggest ones that right now really make the leader be a rock star leader if they really work on these. Absolutely. How can I get a manager who doesn't want to lead but just wants to do to embrace these competencies? Yeah, it's a sales point. For someone in that vein, you really have to get them to understand that difference between leadership and management. And you know, obviously, we all manage things. That's awesome. You know, I mean, ma- you manage things, you lead people, and so and it's really helping them understand at least that bit of the step. You know, I can't tell you how many people is like, oh, you know, I can't go to your leadership class because you know, et cetera, et cetera. I'm a, a project manager, and managers in my title, and and so it really takes that helping them see that perspective that you influence people, you need to foster trust to get your job done. That's leadership. You know, so I have a question for you. And I think about just a lot of businesses in our area where Kyle and I are located. You've seen so many organizations help so many people. How do you know when you walk into a door in different organizations, how can you tell if it's a people first organization or more of a process profitability first organization? I've, I've always kind of challenged myself to identify that differentiator, but it's so hard to see sometimes. So mm-hmm. what have you seen out there? Uh, it's a great question, Patrick. And, and it's, it's really like you put on your little Jane Goodall hat and you're like a social anthropologist going in and it's really asking the, she just won an award the other day. So that's why top of head, but you really start to think about what's the perspective of the employee. You know, when you look, think about talking about diversity and inclusion, really the big place that the industry is going is creating that sense of belonging. And so for me, a people-centered organization is one where, where any employee I can go up to and somehow ask some sort of question like you, do you feel you belong here? Do you feel you're respected here? Are you allowed to bring your authentic self to this workplace and actually rock it and roll it and use it? You know, and then listen for the answers. And then also listen for what's not being said too. And it's those types of things that I start to do when we, we actually uh, go on site with clients. Uh, but when we you know, actually start to work with folks and we maybe either don't know the overall corporate culture or, you know, let's face it, even though the corporate based in, you know, Germany might say, this is how we are, that is regional, you know, twists and focus on different things if you're larger. And so, you know, understanding, okay, we know your corporate values, but are they really the ones being lived within your workplace? And you ask these questions and then, of course, listen for the results. Absolutely. I love that. It's like, you kind of have to be a sociologist a little bit, right? And exactly. and understand the group norms and all that. I think one of the things that that's you know, really interesting, I want to dive into a little bit is obviously your focus is all about it being inclusive, mm-hmm. right? And and your life is all about being inclusive and your context, I'm assuming potentially could be coming from a place of previously being excluded and creating an inclusive culture mm-hmm. uh, for yourself and, and for others that are in the LGBTQ plus community. So, so walk me through, how do you approach the organizations that you help, and maybe your personal organization to make sure that you can build a safe space, an inclusive culture where everybody can thrive. 
Yeah, and it's so important now more than ever for a bunch of different reasons. Obviously, the focus on on creating a more inclusive workplace is top of mind, probably since last summer, maybe before. But what I think smart businesses and smart HR people are thinking about is how do I make our business so darn inclusive and create that sense of belonging that when the opposite side of COVID happens, whatever that means, my best talent isn't going to jump ship because now they can work remotely. And so, you know, one of the ways you can do that is, is you create that sense of belonging for someone that they're like, wow, this is cool. I like being here. I like working here. And, and I don't want to go anywhere, even though now I can pick up my toys and virtually go somewhere else, obviously, depending on the job. So I think it's, it's really helping organizations see what they're doing to be inclusive, maybe what they're not doing to be as inclusive as they could. And most importantly, you know, I keep getting back to asking the employees, it is. Sure, that one-year employee engagement survey is awesome data. However, what else is happening the rest of the year that you can kind of look and see how people are feeling about that, you know, being included in that sense of belonging within the workspace? Absolutely. Yeah, we do that at my organization. And we actually added, intentionally added a few questions related specifically to diversity, equity, and inclusion. Mm-hmm. And I was surprised. Our scores came back really, really really solid. Like, you know, people felt safe at work and like, it was really, really exciting to hear. But then I got to thinking about it and I was like, you know, we are a really homogenous organization (laughs) by location. Sure. Right. And so like, I mean, we're international, so we're all over the place. But when you look at those teams, there's not a ton of diversity on the team. So, you know, I actually kind (laughs) of, my hypothesis is everybody might feel safe because they are surrounded by like-minded people. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So as you go through those and as you, as you approach, you know, these organizations that maybe have had a little bit of an aha moment over the last year, mm-hmm. worried about retention, yeah. uh, maybe don't know what they don't know. What's your kind of your base case when you go into those organizations? Do you start by, are you asking the employees? Do you take a look at leadership? You know, where, where do you start? Typically, when we come in, it's because someone knew that there was an, and Disney, we never said a problem. We said area of opportunity. So someone knew that there's an area of opportunity (laughs) to be more inclusive, whether that be because someone did a no-no or someone just had an aha moment or that senior executive went to some virtual or face-to-face conference and says, oh my gosh, we need to do this, whatever the reason. And, And so typically we're brought in because someone needs an intervention. They just don't know what it is. So we'll have those conversations and. Side note, it's funny because I treat every learning project like a change management project. And I often say to clients, you know, yeah, we're going to come in and do a one day on site, being a more conscious, inclusive leader for all your senior folks or whatever. You know, this isn't a silver bullet magic wand, right? And if clients say, no, 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 this it's great. No, this is a starting point. You need a communication strategy, executive sponsorship strategy. How are you going to measure that any of this is even working? And so we bring it up through that change lens, and that seems to open up the conversation a bit. So while, you know, while, while of course, we can go in as consultants, typically we're part of the training intervention as that. But we, we're always very, very stupidly mindful to say, you know, this is not the only channel that you need to have this talk. How is it even being woven into the next communication that your executives have or your employee engagement survey? And and so we have those conversations to make sure that it really does start to impact the human change 
versus just the tick box. Yay, we had a, that gay leadership dude come in and do a one-day workshop. Woo you know, No, that's not how it's going to change things and, and really make the world that more inclusive for all of us. And now, a word from our sponsors. When Molly, Patrick, and I started to figure out how to start our own podcast, we didn't know where to start. Thankfully, we found Buzzsprout. Buzzsprout makes it super easy for us to upload our episodes, track our listeners, and get listed on all the major podcast networks. Today's a great day to start your own podcast. I know that you're one of our listeners, so you've definitely got something to say. Whether you're looking for a new marketing channel, have a message you want to share with the world, or just think it would be fun to have your own talk show, podcasting is an easy, inexpensive, and fun way to expand your reach online. Buzzsprout is hands down the easiest and best way to launch, promote, and track your podcast. Your show can be online and listed in all the major podcast directories within minutes of finishing your recording. Podcasting isn't that hard when you have the right partner. and The team at Buzzsprout is passionate about helping you succeed. Join over 100,000 podcasters already using Buzzsprout to get their message out to the world. And now, for listeners of Rebel HR, you can get a $20 Amazon gift card sent to you from Buzzsprout by clicking in the link in the show notes. Thanks for listening. Are you looking to grow your personal brand or your business brand? Take it from me that podcasts are a great way to do it. Here's the secret. We all want to feel connected to the brands that we buy from. What better way to humanize a brand than through sharing your personal story on a podcast? I have had great success with KitCaster. KitCaster is a podcast booking agency that specializes in developing real human connections through podcast appearances. And let me tell you, it's all about the right human connection. You can expect a completely customized concierge service from their staff of communication experts. KitCaster is your secret weapon in podcasting for business. Your audience is waiting to hear from you. For a limited time offer, listeners to the Rebel HR podcast can go to www.kitcaster.com backslash rebel to get a special offer for friends of the podcast. Rebel on. Absolutely. I think it's so critical. It can't just be a check the box thing, right? We had that gay guy deliver that one training that one time, right? Woo-hoo. Like that, that, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> that might sound good to the, you know, the board of directors might be like, okay, check, you know, they're doing something, right. but this is a journey, right? This is a lifetime of work for any organization. And, and it's one of those things that even if you think you're inclusive, guess what? Somebody is still not feeling as safe as they yeah. possibly could be. That's Absolutely. just, the, that's natural in any organization and any society that we have mm-hmm. to continue to evolve and get yeah. better, right? Yeah. I mean, that's, yeah, yeah I'm and, definitely with you. And, you know, often when we're brought in, there's a lot of people who are voluntold to be in these sessions. And I know it. I mean, my goodness, I've been doing this for a long time. I can see the, the body language there. And, and so how we typically start the conversation is not from a, this makes the world a better place. Obviously, I, I believe that personally, but we start with, you know, the opposite side. Okay, we're not here to talk about punitive or this is the law. We'll let our legal friends do that. But we want to get in the middle here and talk about the business case for why inclusivity matters, how it's going to lead to organizational success, both individually for you sitting in this room, as well as the rest of the business. And usually when I start there, most of the folks in the room are like, yeah, I do want my business to be successful because that's security for me. Awesome sauce. If that's where we start, cool. And I'll have some of the folks who are just like, but I want to make the world more inclusive for everybody. Fan flippantastic. You know, we can do that. And that's cool. But it's sometimes it's you got to start in that middle. It's for the business and then see where things evolve from the conversation uh, from that point. 
Absolutely. You've got to find the right burning platform to do something. And from my perspective, I don't really care what that is as long as there's some progress on the back end, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> my personal motivations are way different to Patrick, you know, for instance. Um, <laughs> not really. I mean, we both want to make the world a better place, but <laughs> he's also very business minded. That's fine. Hey, I, yeah. I get it. Like, you know, one of the biggest things I pontify to my clients all the time is measurement, you know, and, and I, I mean, I cut my teeth, you know, in software training, it was easy to see the measurement impact. And side note, it was actually precursor to CRM software training in the financial industry. So like numbers are my jam. I love it. I mean, I'm a doctor, I'm a nerd, come on. But to talk <laughs> to a regular HR person, especially a, a training and development person, the desire is there to measure results, but it's like, oh, Kirkpatrick won, butts in seats, smile sheets. Yay, they liked it. Cool. Well, what's your business different now? And they're like, what? And that's, that's a, the, the thing that I like to talk about, whether it be about you know, leadership stuff, being inclusive. It doesn't matter the topic. If you're not doing a measurement strategy on anything you're spending money on from a learning perspective, you'll never know what your ROI is. And then how do you know if it's a good spend or not? You know, hey, right. I'm a vendor. I'm like, you're spending with me? I'm happy. Yes, that's nice, but I want to make sure that what, what me and my team do is effective and it's making your business and your world better. And the only way you can do that is to measure it. You know, I, I think you really have to also turn it into a cultural conversation as well and not just have the people that help drive that culture be your one to two person HR departments. You got to have the right leaders in place oh, yeah. to help drive that cultural conversation because culture, I mean, you could throw, you know, inspire in big letters on the wall and see it when you walk in the front door. That's not culture. It's letters on a wall. Culture right. is an idea and you just need to have the right people in place that that will just embrace that as well. Absolutely. Change champions are a thing. And, and if your workplace is not engaging in that type of broader conversation, then you know, that's, a, that's the starting point, if you will. The other thing I often say is your workplace can't become more consciously inclusive if, you, if it's not a feedback-rich culture. And so you know, feedback is the only way we hold each other accountable when behavior change is desired, where I can respectfully say, hey, Kyle, in that meeting the other day, when you said this, here's the impact it had or whatever feedback model you want to play with. And so I'm finding more and more that one of my leading conversations with initial clients, client partners is, you know, tell me about how feedback is done in your world. You're like, what do you mean? It's like, okay, someone walks up to you and says, hey, I have feedback for you. Is your reaction, ooh, or is it, oh, cool. What is it? That tells me a massive difference in how the concept of feedback is being utilized in your workplace. And that's a big building block for holding accountability for anything from, you know, inclusive leadership to insert whatever conversation here. That's awesome. I have a call out on this. This is that's awesome. I love that you said that. It's how you garnish that feedback. And for everybody on this call, it's not a suggestion box in the break room. That's not what we're, he's talking about. <laughs> Absolutely correct. Absolutely correct. But I had some awesome suggestions in that suggestion box before. <laughs> Sometimes Change the it's lunch like menu. Fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or so-and-so's drinking in the parking lots and then it's like a the war of the suggestion boxes i've had that right. before <laughs> <laughs> but to the person that wrought, that wanted the doritos in the vending machine i'm sorry we did our best we just couldn't make it we couldn't get out <laughs> <laughs> so, so suggestion boxes notwithstanding what can someone do and i'm specifically thinking about that audience member who hmm. comes and sits in your training thinking this is another one of those bs hr trainings Arms crossed. Yep. What can somebody like that do to be more inclusive, even if they don't necessarily understand that they need to do that? 
one of the things that I've been super excited about with the movement to distance is, is how mindful people have been for the, these conversations about inclusive. So quick story, we took the, um, the eight day onsite program that we would do. And, you know, because this is my doctorate, yay, distance learning, broke it up into four two hour chunks. And then we use Zoom and Mural and different ways to really engage. So it's mostly the same type of activities we would do in the virtual, in the physical space, but we do it in the virtual. But what's been the fantastic difference is people are, my one friend used the term noodling. People will be noodling on the topics afterwards. And, and even people I didn't expect. And I think that's been the most interesting part about this distance delivery, specifically through having a conversation about inclusivity. Because you know, we get into topics like, what does privilege or advantage mean? What is the concept of equity versus equality? What are your first impressions doing to your actions, thoughts, and behavior when you're meeting that new candidate or even that new boss or whatever it looks like? And so what's been cool is almost that break in thinking has been a selling point in and of itself for people. I'm seeing a lot less resistors to the concepts because some people are just like, oh, it's one day I can get over this. You know, I, there's a lunch break in the middle. That's cool. We're now, you know, because we have them for a month, but it's only two hours once a week, and, but there's, they can't stop not thinking about it. Where if I do the fire hose approach to the data in one day, it's just like so much. It's like, ugh, you know, just like most adult learners, they don't, they don't process all of that. But because we're doing these, you know, I, I like to say like learning tapas or bite-sized nuggets, it, we're really seeing a different cognitive approach to how people, even the resistors are enjoying or, or at least thinking about it. And you can tell by the recap on the next week. Because the questions that come in, it's like, ah, you've been thinking about this, haven't you? <laughs> and that just, you know, that makes my little learning part very happy. <laughs> yeah, that's an interesting observation. Um, I hadn't really thought about that. But yeah, you know, pre-virtual learning, it was kind of like, oh, great, I got to drag myself to some workshop and, you know, maybe I'm traveling and I'm, and then I'm sitting in the... I'm sitting in the training and I'm just going, okay, when is happy hour at the hotel? And okay, which one of these people am I avoiding? And which one of them am I going to try to hang out with? And okay, uh, yeah. <laughs> so yep. yeah, you can be a little bit more present, as weird as that sounds, I guess. Yeah. And what I also liked is for some of our clients who would try to take more of the, uh, and this makes sense from a cost savings perspective, but more of a, a regional approach, you know, oh, Steve, you or your trainers go up to, you know, Appleton, Wisconsin to that one site and just work with those folks. Now go to Toronto and do it at that one site there, where now it's just like open enrollment, anybody can come, here's the time zones. And now we're seeing even amongst themselves in the business, they're working with people in these small groups they never have met, nor would they have had that opportunity. And I'm like, yeah, this is the other bonus of it that not are we just saving money, but you're allowing your larger organization to network internally. And that's just going to benefit you down the road while you foster these different relationships within your own leadership team. Absolutely. I want to circle back to something, something you mentioned, because I think it's really critical. And it's for me, this is one of my favorite things about HR and focusing on like people and leadership and all is there's so many intertwined things. And, and one of those that you mentioned is you know, somebody's reaction to feedback, which we've had a couple guests on here talking about psychological safety, and that one of those measurements of somebody feeling truly psychologically safe in the workplace is the comfort with feedback and the ability to realize, oh, this feedback doesn't mean I'm a bad person. It doesn't mean I'm, I'm going to get fired. It's just, that's all it is. It's just feedback. And I, you know, I respond to it in whatever, you know, way I can, but in a truly inclusive environment, it's safer. 
for more people sure. to hear that feedback without having, you know, significant fear of their job. So as you have been doing some of this work and, you know, seeing some of these, uh, what would I call them? Like, you know, like these, like similar competencies mm-hmm. in, in leaders, what are they doing to really make people feel safe in these disruptive times and truly able to respond appropriately to feedback and ultimately be effective? I, I think one of the bigger, it's funny, I'm going to say one of the bigger things that leaders can do, it's actually the smaller things that send a big message. Speaking through the, the queer lens first, you know, putting your pronouns in your signature line. People are like, why do I have to do that? I'm like, because yes, what you're doing is you're normalizing the concept of pronouns. You're allowing for interpretation for people to identify their own pronouns, much like I identify my name. But most importantly, whether you know it or not, you've sent a big shiny red or pink flag that I'm trying to be as inclusive as I can. Here's that. You know, you see it in Zoom as well. Inclusive leaders are quickly updating their name to say, you know, Dr. Steve Giacovelli, bracket, he, him. And again, that's just a signal or a marker to those others of us who are like, ooh, Kyle, you have your pronouns there. Ooh, you're a safe person. That makes me feel better. Or some physical workplaces will do like, a, you know, an ally or safe zone program. It will sticker on the office wall. Those things might seem tiny, but for some of us others, those are massive. And it can be bigger, small things. Uh, sure, the let's celebrate blank month is nice. But what do you do? And I say blank month, whether it's Pride Month, whether it's Black History Month, whether whatever, it doesn't matter. But what are you doing the other 11 months of the year when that month is done? I just I saw a meme just the other day. I don't know if you've, you've seen or are a big Lego fan, but they came out with this like little rainbow Lego set that just like premiered a couple of weeks ago. And it seems like everybody on LinkedIn has theirs. Well, someone posted one where it's like, it, it says, you know, June, it has a little rainbow one. And then it says July 1st. And it has, of course, their little little Lego stormtroopers, and they've painted half of it gray hmm. uh, of the little rainbow. Because, and and it's, mm. it's you know that speaks volumes because yeah, you do have some of these workplaces that you know they de rainbow the logo come July first, and okay, that's fine. I mean, you don't want rainbows going all year. Well, I do, but not everybody does. Uh, but but what else is still happening? What are those other signals? Does all of a sudden the pronouns disappear July first? Or are those policies still not being talked about on how inclusive they are? And I, I think that's where leaders have a fantastic opportunity to, and I'm broadening this beyond the queer community, just be mindful of the others that are out there and always ask those questions, you know, what perspective is not being shared here that's not the majority? Whether that be, you know, policies, whether it be decisions being made, whether that be processes, whatever. Yeah, it's powerful. It's interesting. So, so I don't have the pronouns on LinkedIn and I'm thinking I probably need those first of all, because yes. I, I consider myself an ally, but to your comment, you know, it's the little things and I don't have that little thing done. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to go do that. I'm going to write Yay. a note to do that. But <laughs> I think one of the other big blind spots for people like me, I'm mean, I'm speaking about myself personally here. So my brother's gay and he okay. came out, I don't know, 15 years ago, something like that. And I've always considered myself an ally and, and inclusive. You know, that's just kind of who I've always considered myself to be. But he didn't tell me. He didn't come out to me, and he didn't come out to my fiance at the time, my my current wife. And I asked him why. And the truth is, he well, first of all, he didn't think it was a big deal, or really anybody's business. <laughs> it's like, what did you have to come out as straight? 
why do I have to come out as gay to you? You know, so I'm like, okay, well, that's fair. But, you know, I think the undercurrent there, and he didn't come out and say this, but I is I didn't make it safe for him to to come yeah. out to me one way or another, whether it was, you know, making a gay joke when I was in high school and he overheard it or my actions. I don't know what it is, but for whatever reason, he wasn't comfortable. Mm-hmm. And so I think for me, that's one of those blind spots. It was one of those aha moments that, wow, I'm probably not doing enough, even though internally I feel like I am. You know what I mean? So sure. I, I think sure. it's like kind of, you know, just even being aware of that is so important. Well, and I think a couple of things come to mind with that. One is, you know, maybe making that statement, and this this is any leader can do this, to say, I'm working on myself to be more inclusive. I need you to inspect that feedback again. I'm asking you, I'm open up. If you see something that isn't as inclusive as it could be, regardless of what kind of topic or demographic or, or area, please let me know because I only know what I know. And just even as a leader saying that can go, extremely far to open up those dialogues and those conversations. And, and I also think too, you know, I love that we're talking more and more about neurodiversity as another facet of looking at the differences that make us all awesome, unique individuals. And I liken the concept of neurodiversity to being LGBTQ+, because for the most part, and this is a gross generalization, I'll totally own up to that, but members of both of those classes, those groups, those others, you have to disclose your status. And so some people choose to, like, you know, I did first time, I mean, I've been gay, so to speak, quote unquote, knew my authentic self for now. It's been 25 years, 24 years, 25 years. I know. So I mean, I, you know, I figured it out later in life in my mid twenties, but now I've lived longer more as a, an authentic gay man than I was as a quote unquote straight man. So it's like, that's ah, kind of cool. Nice milestone. But, you know, I chose to disclose that your brother, maybe he didn't. I know people very close to me who are dyslexic who never disclose that. Mm. And they just kind of struggle and model through that from that neurodiversity perspective. And that's fine. But what we can do is create those spaces where people can say, you know what? Hey, Patrick, I want to tell you, I'm dyslexic. So sometimes it takes me longer to do dot, dot, dot. And flippantastic. Now we know and we can adjust. But it's until someone feels safe enough to, to say that or do that, and make them in that vulnerable state. And really, any of us others are putting ourselves out there in a vulnerable state, Maslow hierarchy of needs, all that fun stuff. We, as the majority group, have to make that space as, as safe and respectful as we can. And we're now back to the concept of belonging again. Absolutely. So how do you do that in a workplace? You know, you want to be self-aware, you want to incorporate that, but writing that line of, confidentiality, how do you try to create that in a culture that doesn't traditionally uh, not welcome that or just not aware of it? Does that make sense? Yeah. And I think it's those little things like, you know, we talked about the pronouns and all, all that good stuff. You know, look at your policies. What, what do your policies say about gay couples or same-sex couples wanting to adopt or, or straight couples wanting to adopt? Doesn't matter. Are there things there that will allow them to be like, oh, I, you see me or you see my potential situation? Your health benefits inclusive of non-binary and trans folks. You know that could be another thing. Are some mm-hmm. of your um, your publications, your your digital presence, are they open to people with differing abilities? Obviously, there's ADA compliance, but what do you do beyond that? That was a good call out when talking about you know just it's all the little subtle things that you can do, and it got me to think you know okay let's look at you know you do the pronouns you you're showing somebody that you're trying, right? You know, when you have something built into your coverage under your medical coverage about allowing 
to gay people adopt. Maybe you have that and it's like, okay, cool. We're good with that. We're an inclusive employer. But how do our employees know we have that? Exactly. So those are the types of things we got to learn to to call out just so people know, like it may not be relevant for 90 some percent of you, but at least we're putting it out there. So, you know, it's there, you know, we do it for mental health. Why can't we do it for anything else? Yep. And that's kind of where we miss the mark. Yeah. I, you know, I, and I think too, it's, it's leveraging you to help guidelines are things like the human rights campaign. HRC has the, the corporate equality index. If you're not familiar, it's where, you know, if you want to get a hundred percent, Here's the list of things you should do in order to be more welcoming to the queer folks. And there's a, a lot of other groups do exactly that type of stuff. So if you're, you're thinking, well, where do we start? Find one of those lists and start looking at it. You don't even have to apply yet, but just start like, think, like looking at what you do against that benchmark to see how close could you or are you. And then that gives you a good starting point to play around with. Absolutely. Well, we are... Steadily coming up on time here. Want to be respectful. It's been an absolutely wonderful conversation. I'm sure we could probably keep going for another hour or three, but we're going <laughs> to shift gears and we're going to go into the Rebel HR Flash Round. Yes. All right. Question number one What is your favorite people book? Well, I'm insanely overtly biased with Pride Leadership Strategies for the LGBTQ Plu Leader to be the King or Queen of their Jungle. But that one aside, I was able to read the excerpts from a new book that's coming out, which Again, it may be appropriate to, to find another perspective, uh, quote unquote, around other, but it's called The Real Lives of Transgender and Non-Binary Humans. It's like an anthology. It's personal people's stories about their trans and non-binary experience. And so if you want to understand a little bit more about that perspective, that's probably a good one to start. Absolutely. Question number two, who should we be listening to? Well, you guys, of course, um, would be my first <laughs> response. Um, but there's there's a lot of really great shameless um, plug. I totally, Thanks, totally, and un- unsolicited. <laughs> that's fine. No, I tend to veer toward. Um, I love listening to podcasts. That's why I love to be a guest on podcasts. Entrepreneurial stuff is really awesome because I'm an entrepreneur. But from the diversity HR kind of focus, uh, Jennifer Brown, who's one of my friends, the will to change. Um, her podcast is really interesting. I've really enjoyed playing around with diversity beyond the checkbox. Um, I had the pleasure of being a guest on there. And so I was like consuming and same with you guys. Y'all, I, I kind of consume a bunch before I'm on because I think that's the smart way to do it. And then the ones that really stick are the ones that I keep listening to. I added to my little queue for my workouts or whatever. And then the third one that I really, really have enjoyed is Choose Inclusion Podcast. It's, uh, how do they phrase themselves there? The three hosts all represent different facets of diversity, and I'll let them share their opening line because it's hysterical, but it's just a beautiful way. They, they kind of approach the conversation from three different perspectives. It's pretty cool. Awesome. Sounds good. And last question, how can our listeners connect with you? The best way is to head over to the Top Dog, uh, main doghouse, if you will, topdoglearning.biz. There you can find more information about me, about my team, um, about our books. And we're actually doing a um, free plus shipping offer right now. So if you go to the website, you'll see a little banner up there that says, you are here for the free book. You know, US addresses only, unfortunately, but you can find all sorts of cool, fun stuff, free and not so free on topdoglearning.biz. Awesome. So uh, thank you so much again, Dr. Steve Iacovelli, the gay leadership dude. He has a book out. We'll have a link to the book, uh, Pride Leadership Strategies for the LGBTQ Plus Leader to be the king or queen of their jungle. And we haven't mentioned this one. I, I really wanted to dig into this one, but also author of Overcoming Poopy E-Learning, Correct. How to Effectively <laughs> Evaluate E. I, I just love the title, but I love yeah. a good poop joke. 
Well, I mean, I mean, who doesn't? I mean, come on. And, and you know, it's funny because that humor really wove itself into pride leadership too. Maybe not, not the bathroom jokes, but it's, yeah. And I, and side note, that's based upon my doctoral research. So there's kind of that. It's kind of interesting. There you go. You're just classing it up a little bit. I like it. Right, I like exactly. it. Exactly. Well, thank you so much. It's absolutely wonderful meeting you here and great content. Uh, a lot of takeaways from this and Uh, check out all that content there's a lot more out there so thank you very much thank you all right that does it for the rebel hr podcast big thank you to our guests follow us on facebook at rebel hr podcast twitter at rebel hr guy or see our website at rebelhumanresources.com the views and opinions expressed by rebel hr podcast are those of the authors and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of any of the organizations that we represent No animals were harmed during the filming of this podcast. Baby.